Good morning. Wow, wasn't that a great looking senior class? They are some superstars. They're going to change, change the world. And if they don't change the world, they're going to change the University of Wyoming, amen? <laughs> that was great. Great. Glad to have you guys and uh, mom and dads, congratulations on getting them through. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, man, I'm glad that Julie posted that little video. That kid saved my day this week. I was having a rough day, and I saw that, and I went, this is for me. And three times I played that guy singing to me to, to not worry, and uh, I think that's a good reminder. Um, hey, so if you weren't here last week, by the way, my name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we started this new series called Neighborly. And I shared with you something that's kind of near miraculous that's happening in our community right now. Uh, last week and this weekend, almost every pastor in this town is sharing this same message with their churches. Um, we got together and we talked about doing a series and we thought that this was a topic that was timely and needed for our community and so we're doing this together with all of the other believers in town, which I think is pretty, pretty cool. If you missed last week, um, one of the things that we did is we studied the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Um, maybe you're not familiar with that story. If you don't know that story, Jesus basically used that story to try to help you and I understand what it means to truly to truly love our neighbor. And, uh, and this is important because in church culture, um, there's a temptation, and I think that there's a tendency for you and I to kind of, you know, say, yes, I know, uh, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, I get it, and to turn that parable and to turn Jesus' second part of the great commandment into a metaphor where we kind of go, yes, I, I get it. I will love everyone. I will love every and help every stranger I meet. Yes, 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 yes. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good idea. But the problem is, is that when you and I say that we're going to love everyone, we often end up loving no one. We, we take and, and we, we kind of have this metaphoric love for a metaphoric neighbor that doesn't really exist and we never really change anyone's lives. And so last week, I, along with a lot of the other pastors in town here in Steamboat, we asked our churches this question, okay, and I'm going to ask it again to you this morning. What if, what if we were supposed to take the second part of the great commandment literally? What if uh, God literally wants us to love our actual neighbors, to invest our time and our heart into the people that live right next door to us and across the street from us. And that was a question we posed, and we kind of as a group have imagined, what would, what would it be like? What would happen if every follower of Jesus in the Yampa Valley began, uh, you know, went from knowing their neighbors as, maybe as an acquaintance or maybe even as a stranger and in fact became friends with the people that they live next door to. What would, what would happen in the kingdom of heaven? I think there would be a lot of change. I think this would be a better place to live, no doubt. And so, one of the things I did with you guys last week is I challenged you to take a little baby step in that direction. Uh, to take the first step, which was simply to encourage you to learn and to remember the names of your next door neighbors. I confessed last week that, uh, that I had not done that. In my last neighborhood, I knew a couple people, but not the ones that lived next door to me. And I was ashamed of that, and, and I realized that, you know, this is good. I should learn their names, because if I learn their names, I might get to actually know them better. And if I get to know them better, then I can probably love them a little bit better too, right? And so a simple way to do this, maybe I didn't give this to you last week, but this might help you, is to make a map of your neighborhood, um, to put together a little map, uh, looks like a, put that up there if you would, a tic-tac-toe uh, uh, grid, 
and your house is in the middle. And that grid represents your neighborhood. Each square on that grid is a house that is surrounding yours. And each one of those houses represents real human beings <laughs> with real names who have stories and are probably on some sort of spiritual journey that God has taken them on. And God, here's the amazing thing, has placed you right in the midst of them, right in the middle. And I believe that that's on purpose. I believe it's strategic on God's part to do that. And so, in a way, filling out this map and thinking about, okay, who lives there? And, oh, I don't know their name. I need to get to know their name and remember and write that down. Even doing that in a mental way is a good litmus test for you and I to see how well we're doing at following Jesus' command to love our neighbors. Now, my guess is, is that when I challenged you to, uh, to learn the name of your neighbors, many of you were like, okay, that's, that's, that's inspiring. Yeah, I'm, I'm inspired to do that. But you were also conflicted, right? Because on the one hand, you're like, that's a good idea. I should get to know the names of the people who live next door, next door to me. But on the other hand, you might go, how in the world am I going to find the time to do this? My plate is already full. I, I, how can I fit a few more relationships into this life that I'm living right now. I don't know if I can do that. And my, my, my theory is, is that most of us feel that way. And so my big idea today that I want to wrestle with you, and I told you that I would do this last week, is this. Here it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. That the greatest obstacle for you and I to take the great commandment seriously is time. The one thing that prevents you and I to do the one thing that Jesus asked us to do, to love God and to love our neighbor, is time. Are we living at a pace, at such a fast pace, are we available to God? And are we available to our next door neighbors and to others? For most of us, I think we're in a, a bad pattern. We live a life of busyness. Our day boils down to a list of tasks that we're constantly doing every day and we got to get through that task list and we check them off one at a time, one at a time. And then by the time we're done with that, we want to go home and we want to shut off the world. And, and, and the thing is, is as we get older and we have more responsibility, our task list grows. We, we, have, we, we get married. <laughs> we have kids. Uh, we, we, we still want to work on our career and our job. We have hobbies that we want to participate in. We have friends that are already baked into the equation but we hardly have time for anything else. In fact, I just want to commend you for being in church this morning, considering how busy some of you are. And so I, I get this, and this is reality. And you would think, one of the things I thought about is that you would think with all the advancements in technology that we've had over the years, you and I would have a lot more time. Because we've had all these devices that have been made and created and invented to save us time. But that hasn't really happened, has it? In fact, I found a, 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 an article in a 1970 edition of Time Magazine. It was a cover article on technology and the new stuff that was happening just as we went into the 70s. And look at this. Uh, look at this quote that I pulled from. It's almost laughable. It says this. Due to the advances in technology, within 20 years, people will cut back on how many hours a week they work and how many weeks a year that they actually work. People will start retiring sooner. Did you know that? Yeah. Their biggest challenge, check this out, their biggest challenge will be figuring out what to do with all the excess time that they have now. That's almost laughable. 50 years later, 
None of us, not any of us, would say that our biggest challenge is I have too much time on my hands. In fact, we would say I have no excess time. I have no extra time for anything or anybody. And I think the problem is, and we need to realize this, it isn't that we have more things to do now. I don't, we all have always throughout time had to take care of some of the essentials. But I think the biggest problem is in our mind. It's our mindset. We have what um, um, pastor and author John Ortberg said, called hurry sickness. He called it hurry sickness. And it seems like our entire culture has hurry sickness. Everywhere we go and everyone we meet is in a hurry. They're going, they're hustling. Some of these seniors had to hustle to get here this morning just to make it back from Denver. I mean, we're all in it. And, and you and I, we're fascinated and captivated by anything that will help us to hurry up. We, we want faster uh, transportation. We want faster communication. We want faster internet, faster information. And so now we've created this culture where we have drive throughs because we don't have time to cook. We now have smartphones because we don't have time to open up a laptop anymore. We have uh, bottles of shampoo and conditioner in the same bottle because apparently it took too much time to do those two things separately in the shower. <laughs> the irony is that with all of these improvements and, investment and, and, and enhancements to our lives, we actually have less time. In fact, John said this, that we're, we're one of the only civilizations that we, have, that we have so much stuff and yet we don't have enough time. We have less time. And... Um, and so this isn't a new concept, though. Uh, people have struggled with this throughout the years. In fact, hurriness, um, this sickness of hurriness, um, was, was back in Jesus' day. It's not a new thing. It was a reality even 2,000 years ago. In Mark chapter 6, I found this little passage. It tells us, Mark tells us that the disciples were so busy, were such in a hurry doing the ministry that they had, that I quote, says that many were coming and going, and they had no time to eat. They didn't, you know, and maybe you've experienced that before. You're just like, oh, man, I forgot to eat. I never, ever forget to eat, but, <laughs> but maybe you have anyway. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, the thing is, is that um, I want to just suggest to you that if you want to manage your time better, you want to be a better management of this time, this gift that God has given you us, to us on this planet, I would suggest to you that you look at Jesus. Jesus was a master of time. He had a limited amount of time and he had a lot to do within that time and yet he rolled at a different place. Jesus understood the problem of busyness, the temptation to get too busy. In fact, Luke chapter 5 verse 16 says that this, Luke says that Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray and to slow down his life just to break that thing. Uh, he taught his followers to do the exact same thing. Once after a very busy day of ministry, Jesus told his disciples, he said, come away with me to a deserted place and let's rest a while. Let's just chill and slow this thing down. And over the three years of following Jesus, this is fascinating. The three years that the disciples followed Jesus, they learned this, that it is impossible to be in a hurry if you're following Jesus. You and I cannot uh, go faster than the one that is leading us. And it is impossible to, to be in a hurry if you're following Jesus. Yes, Jesus was busy, but he was never in a hurry. You see story after story of things that he's taken care of, but he's never seemed rushed and hurried and frazzled because of all that he had to do. He was busy, 
but he's never in a hurry. In fact, there's a difference between those two. Busyness is an outward condition. I've got things to do. I've got busy. I'm keeping busy. But hurry is an inner condition. It's a, it's a disease of the soul. And hurriness eats our soul and steals our soul from us because we're just like, oh, I got to go, got to go, got to go. And Jesus was never that way. Jesus was always cool, whatever he was doing. For example, think about this. Jesus was never so busy that he ever lost connection with his heavenly father. He was always in constant communication. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus never said a word unless it was a word that God told him to say. And that Jesus never did anything except for what the father told him to do. And so he was in constant connection and communication uh, with his father. Jesus understood and practiced on a daily basis the first part of the great commandment. That we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength, and all of our mind. He practiced that daily. And that's a massive, that's an incredible accomplishment. But not only that, um, the, as for the second part of the great commandment, it's clear when you read the Gospels that Jesus never allowed busyness to be an excuse for him to withhold love from somebody when it was needed. He never was like, I'm too busy, I'm sorry, can you hold on, I gotta go. Um, even with his hectic schedule of, of traveling all over Israel and teaching all these different places and healing all the sick people that came to him and saving the world, by the way, Jesus seemed like he always found time to connect with the people that he came across. I think about people like Zacchaeus. You know, Jesus was walking through, the Bible says that he was passing through Jericho, probably on his way up to Jerusalem, and he's walking along the town, and he sees a grown man who has climbed up into a tree, and Jesus is like, what are you doing there? And they had this conversation, and within a minute or two, Jesus is like, today, Zacchaeus, I'm staying right here, and I'm having lunch with you, bro. And it changed Zacchaeus' life. I think about the woman at the well. Jesus was passing through Samaria, right? And he sees this woman in the middle of the morning coming out to get water, which indicated that there was something wrong, that she clearly was having some issues. And as he began to talk to her and have this conversation, it became aware that she had a lot of shame and a lot of guilt in her life for things that she had done. And he just spent this time loving on her and encouraging her and having this little back and forth uh, ping pong match uh, between her. She was kind of a sharp cat. And then he did this so much so that it broke her heart. And the Bible says that she ran into the town and she said, come out and see this man that's told me everything I've ever done. And she introduced this town to Jesus and many of them gave their life to her. I think about the centurion servant that came to Jesus like, I'm sorry, I know you don't have time. Just say the word and all this. And Jesus had time. And I think about all the times that Jesus would talk to his disciples and what they were struggling with individually and what they were struggling with corporately. And he never seemed too hurried, too busy to love on the people that came in his, his path, even though he had a lot to do. Again, um, the problem is, I think, for many of us is that we in our culture like to wear busyness like a badge of honor, right? I'm busy. People, how, how you doing? How, how you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> how are you? Oh, oh, I'm busy too. Oh boy, boy, both of us are busy. Yeah, we're important people. Just once I would like to ask someone how they're doing and they're like, I got nothing going on. <laughs> nothing. But no one does that. I think we wear it as a badge of honor and I think more than that, I think busyness is a way for many of us to avoid looking at the real issues that are going on in our life and in our heart. 
We stay busy. We go, 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 because I don't want to stop and think about some of my troubles. Busyness keeps many of us from feeling the insecurities that we wrestle with or feeling the loneliness that we carry with us, right? But worse than that, and this is what I want to make a point with today, a hurried life, a life that's always in a hurry, is one of the biggest obstacles from you and I fulfilling the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbors, being hurried. John Ortberg uh, said this. This is a great quote. He said, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. We are called to love God and to love our neighbor. But that is incompatible with hurry in our life. Because why? Love always takes time. And time is the one thing that busy people just don't have any of. And so if you and I, I I, I want to say this again. Think about this. If you and I are ever going to take the great commandment seriously, we're going to have to create more time in our lives for the relationships that God says are the most important in our lives. We're going to have to learn how to create space and have margin in our life to connect with God and to connect with those that God brings to us at any moment. And so before I close here, I just want to share with you a story in Luke chapter 10 that I think illustrates this idea. And uh, it's interesting. Coincidentally, this story took place right after the passage we read last week when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. This happens next. In verse 38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to him and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to get up off of her fat. Tell her to get up and help me. She said, and in verse 41, I love what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus said. Do you have it up there? Why don't you say this with me? Martha, Martha. I don't, I don't know how Jesus said it. I tried to imagine different ways. He'd go, Martha, Martha. Or did he go, Martha? Come on, Martha. I don't know. But I think there was a, ten, a tenderness in how he said it. He said, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed here. Indeed, only one is needed. Mary has chosen what is what? Better. What is better? Well, look at that. Mary has chosen what is better, and it's not going to be taken away from her. This is God speaking. He knows what's better and best and worse and less. He says she has chosen what is better. I want to take a few moments just to break this passage down in the hopes that you and I will get a better understanding of why this is so important to us. The opening verse of this passage tells us a lot. It gives us some insight into Jesus' approach to life. It says this very simply. It opens up. It says, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. They were on their way, which implies that they were going somewhere else. They had someplace else to go. They had something else to do. They were headed somewhere. And yet, Jesus, whose time was of the utmost importance, there's no one that had a bigger calling on his life than Jesus, right? He was here to save the world. Jesus, in spite of that, took time to talk to these two sisters. 
who, as women in that culture, were pretty low on the totem pole of importance. I mean, even though Jesus had many, many things to do, he wasn't in such a hurry that he couldn't connect with some people. And my point is, is that Jesus was modeling to you and I this concept of creating more space, more margin, relationally, for the people that come in and out of our lives. To be able to stop the brakes at any point and go, okay, what's happening here? What do you need from me, God? Now, this is grip. Great. As the story unfolds, um, we see Mary sitting at Jesus' feet while her sister is back in the kitchen preparing a meal for this big crowd that just show up to her house. Martha is in the kitchen and she is upset with who? Who is she upset with? Mary. She is frustrated at what Mary is doing. Now, unless you understand Jewish culture, you'll miss the significance of her frustration. Sitting at someone's feet and listening to what they have to say is what a disciple did with their rabbi. Back then, there were many rabbis, teachers, and they had disciples that followed them. And they would often talk as they walk, and then sometimes they would sit, and they would have a discussion, and the disciples would sit at the, the, the rabbi's feet, and they would have discussions about life and about God's word and about philosophical things, right? And so that was something that was happening. you got to remember that Jesus was Jewish, and his relationship with his disciples was that of rabbi and student, right? But in that culture, women didn't get to participate in that thing. Uh, the rules didn't allow them to be quote-unquote students. They had other responsibilities to take care of. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus didn't give a flip about some of those stupid rules. He broke those rules often. And he encouraged women to follow him and to be his disciples. He encouraged women to, to learn from him and to learn the word of God and to learn the ways of God. And, uh, and that's one of the things I love about Jesus is that way before his time, he valued women in spite of a culture that didn't. Thousands of years before people caught on, Jesus was on that. But here's my point. Get this. From a cultural standpoint, Martha was doing the correct thing. She was doing the right thing. She knew that women shouldn't be sitting down at people's feet, listening and talking and having these discussions and learning, but instead they should be out preparing and cooking and, and, and putting things together. From a cultural standpoint, she was the one who had chosen the correct act, action. But Jesus didn't commend uh, what the culture expects. Very rarely he could care less what culture said, right? Instead, Jesus corrects Martha, and he praises Mary's choice of being with him. And I got to tell you, when I first read this story, that, 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 that frustrated me. I'm like, what's that about? I got upset about it. I'm like, wait a second, Martha's getting scolded because she's working hard? I thought that's a virtue, right? She is serving Jesus and his disciples and all these people, right? She, she is putting them first. It's not as if she's doing something for herself. It's not selfish. Jesus, wait a second, didn't you say the greatest among you is he who is servant of all? This is, this is, this is bad? Isn't that good what she's doing? Well, um, the issue wasn't that what Martha was doing was bad. Uh, serving and getting things done is good, but in this case, according to Jesus, she had chosen the lesser thing. She had chosen the lesser thing. Her priorities were out of order. Mary, on the other hand, she chose 
to make people, and more specifically Jesus, the main thing. The main thing. And, and I choose that phrasing on purpose. Because our life, and you graduates are going to discover this and know this, our life is always going to be in full of many important things that we need to do. Our plates are always going to be filled with the important things that we need to do. But at the end of the day, what's most important is that you and I center our lives on the main thing, like Mary. There was a saying when I was growing up that we would say, hey, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You ever heard that? And so the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Well, what's the main thing, Pastor Troy? Well, go back to the story that we read last week in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, when the expert in the law came to Jesus and he asked that same question. What's the main thing? What's the most important thing? What's the main thing I need to keep the main thing in my life, Jesus? Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength, and all of your mind, and equal to the first, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will find life and life more abundantly. Because that is the main thing. And Mary understood this. And she created some space to not only invite Jesus into her home, but to also be present. To be with him. To listen to him. To learn from him. And to connect with him. In fact, Mary changed her pace to match Jesus' pace. She slowed down. He stopped and she stopped. Now both her and her sister had the same excuse to be busy. They both had responsibilities. But Mary, according to Jesus, don't forget this, she chose the better. She chose relationship. Martha, however, missed out on the better thing because she was not only busy, but she was hurried in her heart. And so the lesson for you and I from this story is obvious. And we should ask ourselves a question. Am I more like Mary? Or am I more like Martha? Who am I like? Do I make time for the people that come into my life? Or am I too busy? Do I have too many things going on? Um... You might go, well, how do you know? How do, how do you know if you're too busy? Well, let me give you a couple of signs. Uh, if you've ever found yourself turning down an aisle in the grocery store and, and not going down that aisle so that you avoid seeing, because you see someone that you know coming down that aisle, so you avoid having to talk to them, right? Don't act like you've never done that. I've seen some of you turn the aisle, see me, and went, whoa, got to go this way now. We all want to get in and out of that store, but if you've ever done that, my sense is, is that you suffer from hurry sickness. If you've ever uh, had your phone out, checking your texts, your voicemails, your emails, while you're sitting at a restaurant table with your friends and your family, you might have hurry sickness. It's crucial. It is crucial that you and I live at a pace that allows us to be fully present with those that are around us, our friends, our family members, and those people that live next door to us. And so I want to just end with this question that I asked at the beginning again. Do you and I live at a pace that allows us to be available to those who live next door? And my sense is, is that the answer for most of us is no. 
after my long day, I don't have time for them. And I think we need to change our hearts from being a Martha to being more like Mary. To where we open up and we go, okay, there's a reason I just saw them. Might be to say hi. Might be more. I don't know. But I'm going to create space to do that. Now, you might go, how do you do that? And, that? and that is tough. And at the risk of sounding cliche, the answer is simple. You and I need to be more intentional about maintaining our priorities. About keeping the main thing the main thing. Right? And here's the thing I would suggest to you. That our lives that we're living are set up to get us the exact results that we want to get. We have ordered our life to get exactly what we want them to get. And when you and I talk about not having enough time for talk to people, it's true. But it's also not true. Right? I mean, we may say that and we're probably sincere and probably believe it. But the truth is is that we all have the same 16 hours a day that we're awake. Some of us it's 17, some of us 15, depends. But we all have the same 16 hours a day that we have. And it's what we choose to do with those 16 hours that shows what our priority really is. That's the evidence of it. And those of you who are overbooked and overstretched and overcommitted right now with your life... You made that choice. You have overstacked that. You've done that. Those are your priorities. You're doing what you've decided to do. But is it possible that you're missing the better thing? The main thing? If so, it's up to you to change that. And so one of the things we need to as believers, every now and then it would be profitable for us to ask this question. Am I, God, am I centering my life around the great commandment? Am I building my life around those two things of loving God and loving people? Do I, do, am I pursuing God right now in my life? Am I, am, I re, am I praying every now and then? Am I reading my Bible? Am I attending church on occasion? That, that's a sign that God is first in my life. Am I taking time to have, uh, to love on my family and my kids and my, my church community and my coworkers and my friends, and in the context of this um, series, am I loving my actual next-door neighbors? This is important because Jesus said those things are the better things. We may not believe that, but we've got to remember, like I said last week, Jesus is a genius. He knows exactly what's most important to us. He knows what will bring us the most joy and the most satisfaction in this life. And that's why he gave us the great commandment. He knows that when we love God and we love people and we have good relationship with both, our life is wonderful. Our life is so much richer. But in order for you and I to literally obey that commandment, we're going to have to do a better job of managing our time and our priorities. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't share this with you because I've mastered it. I'm clearly, you know, I've got issues. <laughs> um, I'm often overwhelmed by life. I, I, I get overwhelmed by the stuff that's happening. I feel like I'm in a, a, a walls are moving in on me. I call Charlie. And I'm like, hey, man, man this, da, 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 and, he's, I, and I feel overwhelmed, and I, hurt, I feel hurried. 
You know, there's so much. You know, I'm the pastor, and, 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 and it's life and death, and it's eternal life and death, and i got to be there. And I just get all hurried and freaked out and rushed, and often I miss what's most important. And when I find myself in one of those seasons where I'm not balanced like that, I try to remember something that Jackie Kennedy told JFK uh, on the morning before he was assassinated. Um, It's been said that Jackie woke up on that fateful day in Dallas with a feeling that something bad was going to happen. Weird. And and, and she couldn't shake the feeling. And that morning as they were dressing, um, Jackie told JFK that she was concerned. And she said this. She said, today, as you find yourself in the middle of the crowds... Please, John, please, walk slowly and look people in the eye. It gives me chills when I think about that. And when I think about that, I often think that's exactly what Jesus did. I think that even though he had the whole world on his shoulders and he knew the troubles that were coming his way, as Jesus walked among people, uh, He could have been in a hurry. He could have been rushed and anxious. But instead, he chose to walk slowly and to look every person that came in his path in the eye. I think that's a great approach to life. I think we can do this first commandment if we would slow down and walk slowly and look those who have come into our path in the eye. And ask God, what's going on here? What do you want me to do? Just listen. I can do that. I have time. Amen? Man, let me pray for you. And ask God to help us to do the same thing. Would you bow your heads and your hearts? Father, um, we just come to you today. And we, we pause our lives that are in such a hurry. And we've got some plans for this afternoon. And all of that is good. But this morning, before we leave, I pray that every one of us would ask you... What is your heart for my life, God? What is your greatest desire? I think about these graduates. The whole world is their oyster. But I pray that they would say, God, what is your will for my life? And his answer would be simple. Love God, (laughs) love people, and you'll do well. You'll be fine. And so, God, I pray that you would check each one of our priorities right now. What is number one in our life? If you were looking down at us, what would you say is number one? Is is it that, that hobby or that activity? Is it this this job that I've got? Is it getting money? Is it this or that? What is it that is my priority? And God, am I missing the better things? As I consider your call, God, as we consider your call for us to love you with all of our heart and to love our neighbor, we are asking you, what is our next step in those veins? What what is how can we better follow you in those commandments? I sense that the two words slow down (laughs) are probably relevant to most of us. God, help us to slow down a little bit, to smell the roses and to walk slowly and to look the people that you put in our path in the eye and to make ourselves available to help, to be kind, to love, to listen. If we all just did that, this would be a better town and this would be a better world. Help us, Lord, 
to make ourselves available to be used by you at a moment's notice, to drop our plans and our goals and our destinations and where we're headed and instead go, okay, what do you want for me today? What, what's this encounter about? Help us to be those kind of people, I pray. In Jesus' name, all God's children agree with that. Say amen.